Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. I hope that you were as, um, what the word is, impressed or excited about uh, the Thrive group and the video that you just saw. Um, I know those. I know the hearts of those young men and women, and uh, I know they love the Lord. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do with their efforts. And I hope that you're going to be praying about that and all the other things that are going on here at Bay Area. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. If you're a guest of ours, you are our very honored guest this morning. Hope you feel right at home. The very first week of this new year, I preached a sermon talking about just kind of who we were and what we were about. And I anchored that sermon around the text that you see on the screen there, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. The Apostle Paul writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Talked about the fact that we proclaim Jesus. That's what we do. Our goal is to lead people into a transforming relationship with the Lord. Now I want to go back and sort of revisit that a little bit this morning, a little bit from a, a different angle, and talk about what does that even look like? You know, if we are proclaiming Jesus, and we're spending the first part of this year talking about Jesus, if we're proclaiming Jesus, how does that even play out? I mean, what, what's it look like? A long time ago, the Apostle Peter said this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we're going to talk a little bit about talking a little bit about Jesus. We're going to talk this morning about talking to people about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right up front that for an awful lot of people, for an awful lot of Christians, there's a real sense of inadequacy when we talk about this. And even a sense of guilt, almost, because we worry and we struggle with, how can I really do that in a meaningful way? How can I even do that where it feels real? So if you sometimes struggle with talking about Jesus, I want you to know that you're not alone. Eugene Peterson, who's written several best-selling scriptural books, Eugene Peterson of The Message fame, talks about growing up in a Christian home. And when he started first grade, for some reason there was a second grader named Garrison Johns who chose him to pick on. And I want to, to read to you something that uh, Eugene Peterson wrote. He says this, I had been eagerly anticipating the wider world of neighborhood and school, and even at a young age I had committed to memory the verses, bless those who persecute you and, and turn the other cheek. I don't know why Garrison Johns chose me to pick on. Most afternoons after school, he would catch up with me and, and beat me up. Then he found out I went to church every week and he started calling me a Jesus sissy. I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mother gave me the great advice of, it's always been that way for Christians, so you might as well get used to it. She also encouraged me to pray for Garrison Johns. One day, I was with six or seven friends when Garrison caught up with us in the afternoon and started pushing me, and that's when it happened. Something snapped. 
For a moment, all of those Bible verses disappeared, and I tackled Garrison. To my surprise and his, I was stronger than he was. I pinned him to the ground, held his arms down with my knees. He was helpless, completely at my mercy. It was almost too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good, so I hit him again. His nose began to bleed. Now remember, this is Eugene Peterson writing this. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't, so I hit him again. More blood. Then, my Christian training reasserted itself. And I said, say I love Jesus. <laughs> he wouldn't do it. So I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. Say I love Jesus. And then finally, through his sobs, he whimpered, Okay, okay, I love Jesus. And Eugene Peterson says, That's the story of my very first Christian convert. <laughs> now, I don't think that's exactly what God had in mind when he told us, what Paul had in mind when he told us that we are to proclaim him. I don't think that's really the best strategy for telling people about Jesus, putting them down and beating it into them although I think it has been tried in the past. This morning I want to take a look at the life of someone who I think had a much better strategy. Someone whose life was very authentic, his, um, his actions were very authentic and very effective in proclaiming Jesus. A man who changed a lot of other lives. I'm going to look at someone who, who I think got it right. And it's a guy that we don't know very much about really. He doesn't get a whole lot of ink in Scripture. But again, it's someone who I think did a very effective job of introducing others to Jesus. John, in the first, uh, the first chapter of the book of John, it's the very beginning of the Jesus story. John tells us this in verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, this John being John the Baptist. The next day John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. Now we know the name of one of these disciples for sure. Uh, verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. First thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Right off the bat, we learn a couple things about this guy named Andrew. And the first thing we learn about him really is his obscurity. You know, other disciples had their names changed or other disciples were given little catchy nicknames. James and John were the sons of thunder. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter was the rock. Now, we know Thomas is doubting Thomas. When the gospel writer wants to identify Andrew, how does he do it? Look again at verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he's described, he's identified as the brother of Simon Peter. Simon Peter, of course, was this guy who was just larger than life. And really all through Scripture, and probably all through his life, Andrew very much lived in the shadow of his brother Peter. But then one day Andrew meets Jesus. 
And his life has changed. I mean, Jesus is everything he's been looking for, everything he's been hoping for, praying for, longing for. Remember, we talked about the woman at the well saying to her friends, could this be the Christ? Andrew's statement is, we have found the Messiah. This is the Christ. Andrew's life is changed when he meets Jesus. He becomes a disciple of Jesus, a friend of Jesus, which would have made him kind of special. And we're told the very first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother. It becomes an urgent priority with Andrew. I've got to find Simon. I've got to introduce Simon to Jesus. Simon, you've got to come with me. You've got to meet this guy. He is the one. And so Andrew brings Simon, his brother, to Jesus. Simon, this is the guy I've been telling you about. Jesus, this is my brother Simon. What do you think? Now he's, he's kind of a work in progress. He's a little bit high maintenance, a little rough around the edges, but he's got a great heart. Do you think maybe he could be part of our group too? Well, what do you think? And notice how Jesus responds. Look at the rest of verse 42. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So immediately, Jesus changes Andrew's brother's name to Peter. The very first time we see Andrew, as soon as he experiences the influence of Jesus on his life, he goes and finds his brother and introduces his brother to Jesus. And immediately, Jesus gives his brother this cool little nickname. I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Cephas, which means Peter. It seems as if Jesus kind of knew, okay, there's something special about this guy, Peter. Jesus knew what Peter was going to end up doing and who Peter was going to end up becoming. And there seems to be some kind of something special going on between Peter and Jesus. His name is immediately changed. But if you think that Andrew, Peter's brother, is jealous of that, think again. As Andrew steps back and sees Jesus interacting with his brother, i got to believe Andrew's thinking, this is as good as it gets. This is it. This is exactly what I wanted. My brother, Jesus, making a connection, starting a relationship. It just doesn't get any better than that. Now fast forward a little bit to John chapter 6, another story that we're really familiar with in Scripture. Jesus is teaching a huge crowd, 5,000 men, not even counting women and children, it's later in the day, and he asks his disciple Philip, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip says, we're not going to feed these people. We can't feed these people. There's too many. We don't have enough money. In fact, if we did have enough money, there's not enough bread around here to buy. And while Jesus and Philip are having this conversation, Andrew shows up. John chapter 6, verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Notice again, poor Andrew, still being referred to as Simon Peter's brother. But he speaks up and says this, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Apparently Andrew noticed something that nobody else noticed. 
Apparently, Andrew noticed someone that no one else noticed. Andrew, who doesn't get noticed very much himself, noticed a little boy that had a little bit of food. And I want you to notice something about what Andrew does and what Andrew says. Andrew brings this little boy to Jesus, but Andrew doesn't have it all figured out. Andrew doesn't really have a plan. He doesn't say, here's a boy with some food, change it, multiply it, do a miracle. He doesn't know how this thing is going to play out. In fact, he can't answer all the questions. He can't even answer his own question. Here's a boy with some food, but what good is this little bit of food, really? But I think Andrew knew, if I get people to Jesus, amazing things happen. And if I can get people to Jesus, even this little boy, I don't know what Jesus is going to do with it. So Andrew doesn't worry about knowing all the answers. He doesn't worry about the end game. How's it going to play out? How's it going to turn out? Andrew says, I'm going to take this little boy and this little bit of food to Jesus and see what Jesus does with that. Now, if you're waiting until you have all the answers before you introduce someone to Jesus, you'll never introduce anybody to Jesus. If you're waiting until you're sure how it's all going to play out, how it's going to go, how they're going to respond, what they're going to say, what's going to happen next, you'll never introduce anybody to Jesus. Andrew just knew, if I can get this situation, this person, this child to Jesus, He'll know what to do. That's my job. I want you to think about that little boy for a minute. Maybe he wasn't there with his parents. So that little boy goes home. And his mom said, how was your day? The little boy says, pretty good. Anything exciting happened today? Yes, it did. Pretty exciting day. How about that little meal that I fixed you? Was it good? It's pretty good. Was it enough? Funny you should ask that, Mom. And imagine this little boy talking to his mother about what happened that day, that Jesus was there, and Jesus took that little bit of food that he had, that she made, and he turned it into this giant pile of food where all these thousands of people ate as much as they wanted, and there's all this baskets loads left over. And it was my meal. It was the thing that you fixed, Mom. That's what Jesus used. And I was kind of part of that. And all he can talk about is Jesus. And there's a real good chance the name Andrew never comes up in that conversation. In fact, there's a real good chance that that little boy had no idea that the grown-up who brought him to Jesus was named Andrew. But if it hadn't been for Andrew, that little boy wouldn't have been there standing in front of Jesus. We only meet him one more time in Scripture. It's in John chapter 12, very close to the end of Jesus' life. John chapter 12, verse 20. John writes, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. John says that there were some Greeks there who were there in uh, Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Now, when he says that there are some Greeks, he's not necessarily saying that they're actually from Greece. What John is telling us is that they were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. But for some reason, they had a curiosity about the Israelites and their religion. 
And for some reason, they had a curiosity about this man named Jesus. And they wanted to meet Jesus. They wanted to see him. So they go to Philip and say, we'd like to see Jesus. Interestingly, Philip doesn't take him to Jesus. And before we come down too hard on Philip, there's probably some reasons for that. Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about Jewish rabbis and the fact that Jewish rabbis didn't really talk to, interact with, teach foreigners, Gentiles. There's some rules about that. And for a rabbi to sit down and talk to a Gentile, that can be a little bit delicate. And if you were the disciple that set up that meeting, that could be a little bit awkward. So Philip doesn't take these Gentiles to see Jesus. Not right away, at least. Notice what he does first in verse 22. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Rather than taking these people straight to Jesus, Philip goes to Andrew. For some reason, Philip thinks Andrew's the guy to be trusted on to know how to play this out. Andrew's the one that will know how, how to deal with this situation. And of course, Andrew's response is, here's how you deal with the situation. Let's take him to Jesus. I'll take him to Jesus. Andrew, again, he has no problem taking people to Jesus. Because again, he has learned that people find Jesus fascinating. And if he can get people to Jesus, Jesus does the rest. He's still fascinating. He's still attractive. So Andrew says, I'll take anybody to Jesus. Family member? A child? A foreigner? I'll get them to Jesus. And that's his story. That's Andrew's story. He only shows up three times in Scripture. But every single time, he's telling someone, come on, let me take you to Jesus. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he tells his disciples, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You thought your job was to be fishers of fish. You thought your job was to be a tax collector. You thought your job was to teach school or work at an office or sell things at a mall. Jesus said, your job is so much bigger than that. The job that I have for you is so much more important than that. I want you to go and I want you to find people who are hurting. And I want you to find people who are confused. And I want you to find people who are angry and people who are struggling and people who are empty and people who are lost. And I want you to bring them to me. Jesus says, that's your job, to bring people to me. There's an urgency to this unlike any other thing that we deal with. I, I talked a couple weeks ago about that, that. We talk about matters of life and death here. And these are matters of life and death. The conversations that you have with people you know and people you love are the most important conversations that you will have if they're on a spiritual plane. And I'll tell you why. In fact, I'll let Scripture tell you why. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Everyone must die once, and after that, be judged by God. Every single one of us will one day be judged by God. Every one of us is going to stand in judgment before God, as well as everybody you know. Every person you love, every person you care about, is one day going to stand in judgment before God. And then Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, salvation is to be found through Him alone, talking about Jesus, 
In all the world, there's no one else whom God has given who can save us. Without Jesus, we can't be saved. Without Jesus, the people that we love, the people that we care about, can't be saved. Without Jesus, we won't go to heaven. And neither will those people that we care about so much. That's why Jesus told us, go into all the world. Share the good news. Talk about me. That's why Paul said that I, he, he desired to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It really is all about Jesus. Let's wrap up this morning where we started in 1 Peter chapter 3. Quietly trust yourself to Christ your Lord. And if anybody asks why you believe as you do, be ready to tell them and do it in a gentle and respectful way. Peter says, when the opportunity arises, and the opportunity will arise, you be ready. Be ready to tell people what you believe. Be ready to tell people who you believe. I'm not talking about a Facebook rant. I'm talking about in gentleness, with respect, with love. The stakes are so high. Let me close by getting just a little bit personal. I want you to pause for just a minute. And I want you to think about someone that you know. Someone that you care about. Someone that you love. It might be a child. It might be a parent. A brother or a sister. A neighbor. A friend. And we're not here to judge anybody, but I want you to think about someone that, that you, you know they're far from God. You care about them but you know God is not a part of their life. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you ache for that person. And if your heart's still soft, you weep for that person. And that pain is a pain like no other pain. What do you want most for that person? More than anything else, what do you want? You want them to have the Jesus life, don't you? You want them to have a relationship with the Lord. Starting today, right now. Lasting through eternity. You want that person that you care so much about. You want them in heaven with you, don't you? Think about Andrew for a minute. Imagine being in heaven. And I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like, except it's going to be better than I can imagine. I think we'll know as we are known. But imagine being there and, and there's Peter. And there's a big crowd of people around Peter. A lot of people are talking to Peter. A lot of people are asking Peter questions. You know, what was it like to walk on water? How about when you cut that guy's ear off and Jesus put it back on? What was that like? And everybody wants to talk to Peter because, well, he's Peter, right? And then there's another guy who's got some people around him. And he's talking about a time when he was just a boy that his mom sent a little lunch with him. And Jesus fed these thousands and thousands of people with just this little handful of food. And he got to be a part of that and how amazing that day was. And everybody's asking him about that. And then there's another group over here that people say, you know what, we, we weren't even Jews. We, we were Gentiles. We weren't even part of the whole Jewish thing. We were kind of like some of the first outsiders to really get in on this thing. And there's people around them talking to them. And then off on a fringe, kind of at the edge of the crowd, is this guy, Andrew. 
And the Gentiles go running up to Andrew, and the boy who's grown up goes running up to Andrew, and Peter goes running up to Andrew, and he says, Andrew, Andrew, it's you. Thank you. Thank you. We're here because of you. Yes, the blood of Jesus is the power of the Spirit, but humanly speaking, you're the one who introduced us to Jesus. Thank you. Now, think again about that person that you love. How much longer are you going to wait before you have that conversation about Jesus? Or how much longer are you going to wait before you have another conversation about Jesus because you probably have already had several? Even if it's awkward, even if it's difficult, I don't know how they're going to respond this time. Are you praying about that? Maybe even fasting about that? The stakes are so high. We are to get people to Jesus. Jesus is still fascinating. Jesus is still attractive. The blood of Jesus is still powerful. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have every answer. We just have to do a better job of introducing people to Jesus. As Christians, as a church, we proclaim Him. Don't wait any longer. Don't allow Satan to give you one more excuse for a reason to put it off one more day. There's someone that you know who desperately needs you to talk to them about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. The way that he taught, the way that he lived, the way that he died, the fact that you brought him back from the grave. And that's good news. And Father, there are people right now that, that don't know that good news. And there are people right now who are on our hearts. And we bring their name and their faces and their, their circumstance before you. And it's so easy to get discouraged because it seems like sometimes there's a hardness about them. Maybe even a sense of hostility as we try to talk about spiritual things. But Father, we know that you love them more than we love them. And we bring their, their situation and their lives before you. And Father, there are people that we love so dearly that we can hardly bear the thought of them going through this life, let alone the next life, without Jesus. So God, would you do what we can't do? Would you soften a heart that we can't soften? Would you bring back a child that we can't bring back? And Father, if you want to use us in any of that, just say the word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.